We are Crossroads Grace Church. Our purpose is to lead people to discover Jesus and follow Him fully. This week's message is taught by our teaching pastor, Brian Hunt. From wherever you're listening, we hope that you are challenged and encouraged by this week's message. Good to see everybody today. How you doing? My name is Pastor Brian, and I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads. Glad that you could join us here today, especially joining us online. Glad that you could tune in and turn up for a service. And so whether you are joining us in an RV somewhere, or you are in some mountain area, or you're stuck on the side of the road, we just are glad that you're tuning in with us. Our mission here at Crossroads is to lead people to discover Jesus and follow Him fully. We want to help you do that any way that we can. So if you have a question at any time during the service, we want to let you know those chat hosts are available for you right now. And they would be there to, to, to answer anything that you might have. So, the guys, hey, we are in the middle of a series. In fact, we're at the end of a series that is called The Separation of Church and Hate. Uh, it, it has been a fantastic series, fantastic series that is focused not on changing your politics, but really changing your love for each other. And that's why we've said each and every week, we've said this one idea that we want to say that, that uh, we, can, we can learn to, uh, to differ politically, but still love unconditionally. And, and the way we've kind of visualized that a little bit is that the world has told us that we are to be either blue or red. That's what we're so, told to do. It's why we're having debates, we're having all this stuff, you've got to be blue or red. But what we've said is that what Jesus really is saying is, I actually don't care about blue or red, what I care about is purple because Jesus is royal and he is purple. So we've been looking at this this entire time and we, we wanted to do this by looking at different angles of, or different, really different words, the way that we treat one another in this tenuous time in the world that we find ourselves in. So in, in week one, we looked at this idea of being civil. And as we're being civil with each other, we, we realize that we can differ politically but love unconditionally. Uh, but in week one, we said, if we want to be civil, being civil is choosing to not be evil towards one another, right? That, that's what being civil is all about. Being civil is choosing not to be evil towards one another. And the key is, is that you could choose to do that. It's up to you. It's up to me whether or not we choose to do these things. Then in week two, we looked at this idea that in order to love unconditionally, we need to honor each other's dignity, the dignity that God has given each and every one of us. So we said that really dignity is when Christ is in me, I can see others dignity. That that's what happens. That as followers of Jesus Christ, we believe that God gave us his image. It's called the Imago Dei. And we must see each other the same way that God sees us if Jesus is inside us. But then, last week, my, my friend Pastor Carl Romeus joined us. He did a fantastic job teaching on what it was like to be humble and humility. And I love one thing that he said. He said that when we're talking about humility, true humility is power under control. I love that. Such good stuff. Huge thanks to my friend Pastor Carl for joining us. Hopefully you enjoyed him. Just a great, great man of God. But, but, but today, we not only finish this series, guys, but, but we also come to the time where really in the next a week from Tuesday, we're going to be voting on the next president. As I said, you know, we have um, debates happening and things like that happening. We are, we are coming to the end. And so we are at this point where we need more than ever before to be praying. We need to be praying for our nation. We need to be praying for the leaders. We need to be praying for all of those things. And I'll tell you that at the end of this service, that we're going to give you an opportunity to do just that, to pray. And we're going to have a unique way of doing that. I'd encourage you to, to, to be a part of that. And again, to continue to tune in the entire time for service. 
But, but this final week, this final week, we come to the final word that we're going to talk about of separation and church and hate. And it's a word that may be, might be the most important word that we'll discuss. Because it is really the only word that will keep us together completely as we look to love unconditionally while disagreeing politically. And, and we'll, we'll hear about it. Actually, we'll hear Jesus talk a lot about it emphatically in the text that we're going to be looking at today. So I will tell you that if you have your Bibles or your Crossroads Grace app, this would be a time for you to go to John chapter 17 and John chapter 13, if you have those. Uh, so again, if you have your Bibles with you, chat host, you can put that right there in the link right now. John chapter 13, John chapter 17. We'll begin in John chapter 17 if you want to find that spot right now. But there may be no greater call on a Christian's life than what we're going to read that Jesus calls us to in John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, it's known as the high priestly prayer or the farewell prayer. And there's some of the last words that Jesus actually utters while on the earth. And if I, honestly, if I could preach just one message before I died, and I get to choose the text somehow if they gave me that option, I, I would choose probably this passage right here. Because here we get to see that Jesus speaks to a key element to our mission as followers of Jesus. So let's read it together. John chapter 17. And let's start in verse 20. We read that Jesus says this, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Powerful words. But, but we have to be careful that, that we don't just rush past these words too quickly. Because if you do that, you're going to miss out on something really important. And what I want us to realize is I want, to real, I want us to realize who this is written to. And it is written to believers in Jesus. Ones that say, yeah, I, I follow him. Ones that have felt the touch of grace. Those people. He's saying, believers, unite. Sounds like a super cool, like, Power Rangers episode, doesn't it? You know what I mean? Like, believers, unite. You know what I mean? Like, I got that voice. I can do that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, so it, it sounds great. But, but the reason I find this, this scripture so fascinating and so important for us is if you consider it within the totality of Jesus' ministry... Let's just take a brief moment to kind of to put, put in perspective what's really happening here. And let's look at Jesus' life. He was born to, teenage, to a teenage mother and father. He was born in the elements, surrounded by animals and nature and everything. He was forced to flee for his life when he was just a young boy to a foreign land because a dictator wanted to murder him. He grew up in a blue-collar home. At some point, his father actually died, which meant that for part of his life, he lived with a single mom and his siblings. He was baptized by his cousin in the Jordan River, which began a three-year ministry that he took part in. He, he was hated and he was loved at the same time. He was ridiculed by the religious and embraced by sinners. He was accused of hanging out with people that were drunks and prostitutes, and he didn't mind it at all. He performed all kinds of miracles, made, the, made a dead man come alive. He walked on water. He, would, he healed people that had bleeding disorders. He actually let lame people walk. He, he preached about this kingdom of God that was coming, that you could only find the kingdom of God if you knew who he was. He called out the religious leaders 
And they made them so mad that he, that they wanted to kill him. And it was just a little bit after he, he said this that, in fact, he would be set up by one of his own friends and that he would be turned into the authorities, which then caused him to be falsely accused of a sh- in, in the middle of a sham trial that found him being sentenced to death and being executed on a cross. He died on a cross and a spear was run un- underneath his r- ribs into his heart to prove that he was actually dead. He then was buried for three days. He defeated death after those three days. And he rose and walked and he proved that he was alive to over 500 people over the course of 40 days. And he then ascended back into heaven to prove that he was, and said, hey, I'm going to come back. I'm telling you, I'm coming back. Guys, all of that and so much more Jesus had done and would do in his ministry. All of that. But as Jesus is staring down certain death, when we read this in John 17, he looks past the eminent to the inevitable. He, he looks down the hallway of humanity and can see that the greatest plague to us as believers in Jesus is our ability to stay united. He, he wanted his last words to his disciples and to the world to be about this one word. He wanted it to be about unity. Unity. These are the words of Jesus who looked into the eyes of his disciples and said, be united. Be one. Don't let the world split you apart. But it still doesn't answer the question. Why? Like, why does Jesus want us to be unified? Why? Well, to answer that, we, we can't also brush past another really interesting aspect about John 17, and that is the people he originally was talking to, <clears throat> and who he originally was talking to was his disciples. And if you're not familiar with God or you're not familiar with the Bible, man, I'm so glad that you're here joining us. Let me just pull you up to speed. The disciples are the 12 men that were handpicked by Jesus to follow him, to learn from him, to live with him for about three years. But they were as different as different could be. And sure, they were, they were followers of Jesus. But guys, just think about this group that he assembled. It had, it had tax collectors and religious zealots and fishermen. It had a couple of guys that had the nickname Sons of Thunder. You know what I'm talking about? It's like biker gang. They, they, were, they were men that by definition would never, ever hang out together. Let me get really practical with you just for a second. I mentioned that there was a a religious zealot in there. Now, a religious zealot was a Jew who was so passionate about defending Judaism that they literally would carry shanks around in their clothes and kill people that were sympathetic to Rome. That's what would happen. Now, a tax collector, on the other hand, were people that sold out to Rome to collect the taxes for Rome, but they inflated the amount of money they charged and they would make tons of money for themselves. They were extorting their own people. So a zealot and a tax collector would not have been at the same parties, if you know what I mean. Unless it involved an octagon, they weren't going to be there. But, But Jesus chooses a tax collector by the name of Matthew and chooses a religious zealot by the name of Simon to be on team disciple with him. Could you imagine the first meet and greet of the group when they were introduced with each other? It'd be like a UFC weigh-in when you have those two get together. You know what I mean? Who does that? Jesus does that. 
But this is why Jesus realizes that with his final breath on earth, he didn't want to remind them of all the miracles he did. He, he didn't want them to, you know, this is how you start a church. He didn't, hey, this is how you spend money. Or, or he didn't even say, hey, you probably should keep an eye on Peter and keep him away from knives because some bad things are going to happen. Like, he didn't say any of that. No, no, Jesus says here, guys, 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 what I need you to remember, I need you to stay united even though you won't always agree. You got to keep it together, boys. Despite your differences, you need to stand together as witnesses of my life, Jesus says, and the kingdom of God that is coming, that I've taught you all about. Why? Because people were watching. And if they, the, the disciples, they, they aren't united, why in the world would other people want, watching them want to know anything about the Savior that they're talking about? Who wants to follow someone that has a bunch of hoodlums that keep fighting about everything and can't agree on anything? No one. So Jesus says, be united. I, I actually love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.10. He says this. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there would be no divisions among you, but that you would be perfectly united in mind and thought. I, I love how Paul says that you should be what? You should be perfectly united, perfectly united. Now, the word for united in the Greek there is this word called katarizo, katarizo, and it means complete and restored, katarizo. So, so, so Paul is saying that as believers in Jesus and with the world watching, we need to be completely united. We need to be completely restored together. That, that's what he's saying. That's what Paul says. But he also says that we also can't have what? There should be no divisions, right? No divisions among us. Now, the Greek word for division here is the word schizo. Schizo, and it means to tear apart. Schizo means tear apart. So Paul says, don't allow yourself to be torn apart by what the world throws at you. He says, I want you to be united, he says. Be united, perfectly united. September 9th, 1776. The Continental Congress formally declares the new name of the newly formed nation to be the United States of America. Although it was originally proposed by John Adams, I understand, the name United States actually is mostly attributed to Thomas Jefferson when, when Congress passed the Declaration of Independence on July 4th, 1776. And it was in that same September that the Declaration of Independence was signed, printed, and sent to Great Britain. It was a symbolic declaration that said that the 13 colonies were going to stand up and become independent from the British monarchy and that together, united, they would stand up against their tyranny. And so from that monumental moment on September 9th, 1776 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the United States was born and this young nation fought for a revolutionary freedom until the British surrendered on September 3rd, 1783. Together, united, this nation was formed and forged and free. The United States of America.
But yet today we are seeing this once proud nation starting to be torn apart. Political infighting, racial tension, hatreds towards everyone, people that are quick to speak and slow to listen. And sadly, the church is not immune. I mean, church infighting, hurtful words, division. All of those causing churches to crumble underneath the weight of their own negativity. And and guys, the world is looking at us, churches, Christians, from the outside looking in and they're saying, you want me me to be a part of that? You you have to be kidding. I, I have enough drama in my life right now. I don't need more. So you know what? No, thanks. No, thanks. So yes, we we live in the United States of America, but it may be more accurate to say that we are in the disunited States of America right now. And what I fear that we're doing is that we're looking at this upcoming election with these idealistic goggles on. And in what we believe is that if we elect the right president, then all our problems are going to be solved. We'll be united again. We kind of think like the election is going to go like this, this coach I, I found after he won the big game. In fact, take a look. How about that? First year coach emotional. <laughs> right? Right? Like, like totally excited. Yeah, man. And then, what's up, dude? You know what I mean? Like just totally fine, you know? Like, at the end of this election cycle, like, whoever side, whoever candidate didn't get elected, like, they're going to meet at the half court, like, a couple of good coaches and shake hands and, and civilly shake hands with each other. Like, like they're going to stay, they, they'll say stuff like, hey, man, you know, like, no hard feelings, bro. Like, I, I, mean, I know I attacked your integrity and your family publicly, but, hey, it's all part of the game, you know? Hey, hey there, guy. Hey, sorry about those ads that uh, we called you out on those things. No idea if those are true or not. But in the moment, it just kind of seemed like the right thing to do. And they're like, you know, hey, hey, good win, man. Hey, let's go grab some in and out. You know, a little bit later, what do you say? You and me? Hey, listen, I hate to burst your bubble. Ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen. But, but gang, there are so many people that are putting their hopes for unity on November 3rd. But there's a 100% chance that people will be let down and they'll be crushed either way. And here's why. We have stopped looking to Jesus for our unity. We've lost sight that only he can make us unified, not just as a country, but as people. Because we we might think that in our Western minds that we think that God is reserved for the United States. (laughs) But, But I'm here to tell you that the God is God of all people. For crying out loud, the epicenter of Jesus coming to earth was the Middle East, everybody. So God sent Jesus to all people because only He can unite us. But because our world is more concerned about what I want instead of what we want, instead of being united in in, in our states, instead of being united, what we're becoming is untied. We we become untied. Now, Now, what's interesting about these two words is that they have the exact same letters. The only difference is the position of one letter. Just one letter. It's, it's where the I is at, it changes everything. And, and this is the same for us today. Where the I is at, where I put myself in the world, will decide if I am untied or I am united. If we put ourselves over other people, we will never be united. 
But if we choose to follow Jesus and humble ourselves, not thinking of ourselves as better than anybody else, then guess what? Unity naturally comes. Where I put the I makes all the difference. So, so in order to do that, we must see that how Jesus has called us to be united. We, we must. So, so let's look, let's take a little time to look at three ways that we are called to be united as Christians. In fact, three ways Christians must be united. Must be united. You might want to write these down. Number one is this. We need to be united in purpose. United in purpose. Now, where we find this is in Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 30, we read these words. It says, this is what Jesus says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these, he says. No commandment greater than these. Jesus says, our purpose is to love God and love people. That is our purpose in life. Look no further than that. If we can land on that, if we understand that, that we understand that we can be united in that purpose to love God and love people. Jesus tells us that. But the second thing he tells us to be is we need to be united in mission. United in mission. I love how Jesus is very clear about giving us our mission. There is no gray area. Matthew chapter 28, starting verse 18 with me. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, now here's what we normally like to do. Normally we like to leave off the first few verses. And we love to be able to jump to the therefore go. Like we just jump right there. And I understand why. Like this is the guts of the message. We're like, hey, let's just get to it. So what you want me to do, okay? But the first couple of verses are key to our conversations today. Look at what Matthew says here. Again, look really closely at it. Uh, what he says, he says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee. This mission, mission that Jesus was sending them on was after one of the disciples, Judas, had put the eye in the wrong spot. He came untied. It says eleven disciples. Normally there's twelve. It used to be twelve. But again, when one ratted out Jesus to the religious leaders, that led to his crucifixion. The unity of the twelve was shattered by the selfish act of one of their own. But, but here Jesus is bringing these men back to a John 17 mindset. He, he wanted them united about their mission and what it was to be. And that mission was very simple. Go tell the world about me. That's what Jesus says. He says, hey, go tell, I want you to love God and love people. That's your purpose, your mission. Go tell everybody about him. Go, go, go tell everybody about me. We are called to be his witnesses in this world. And we are not as effective if we are fighting against each other instead of fighting for each other. To be united in our mission will keep us from going down petty roads that lead us nowhere. United in purpose, united in mission. Third thing, we want to be united in Jesus. In Jesus. If there's any greater reason to be united as Christians, it is this reason right there. We need to be united in Jesus, more specifically, united in his grace. Because with his love and grace, we would be united for all eternity. That's how we're united in, for all eternity, because of his love and grace. 
And at the foot of the cross, we are all equal and we are all united at the foot of the cross. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 22, says this. It says, this righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Luke would actually say this in Acts chapter 4. Um, Acts chapter 4, he'll, he'll say this. Um, He says, he says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. He says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which he must be saved. Guys, the only way that we can find unity is through Jesus, through his grace, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness. It's the only way. My friends, if we want to see the world change, we as Christians must be united. We must be united in our purpose, in our mission, and in our love of Jesus. We must be united there. There is no, yeah, yeah, but what about this when it comes to these truths? No, 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 no. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, he will say say this. He says, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. There is no doubt that our world is untied. No doubt. It, is, it has been like that for some time and it will only get worse until Jesus comes back. But in times like this, Christians must be more united than ever before. Love each other. Support each other. Give grace to each other. Seek peace with each other. Respect each other. Don't blend in with the rest of the world like a smoothie of sin. Don't do it. Stand out. Be unique. Be united together. Guys, give the world an alternative to all that it sees around us. We have been given a better way through Jesus. So let's be united so that the world can see that clearly. Make sure the eye is in the right spot so we can become united and not untied. Guys, listen to me. The world needs to see Christians arm in arm not up in arms. The world needs to see us arm in arm. If we truly want, listen to me, if we truly want to be the United States of America, we need to act like it. We need to choose to be united. We must learn to disagree politically, but still love unconditionally. And if we want to be Christians who are sold out to Jesus, we need to act like it. We need to be united in Christ. We must learn to disagree politically and still love unconditionally. And and can I tell you this? That if we want to be both a Christian in the United States, then actually what we need is this. Ubuntu. Ubuntu. Now, let me give you a little handles on this before you think I'm crazy. Uh, this is an, an African word. Uh, I actually stumbled upon this phrase watching a documentary on the former head coach of the L.A. Clippers. His name is Doc Rivers. 
Uh, so I actually reached out to my friend Wallace Camus in uh, Nairobi, Kenya, to do some digging on this word. And what Wallace told me was just fascinating. So, so Ubuntu is a Zulu phrase, South African tribe. And, and it, means, uh, it means, I am, he says, I, it's, I am because, I love this, I am because, listen, because you are. He says, Ubuntu means I am because you are. The word actually Ubuntu comes from a longer Zulu phrase. The longer Zulu phrase says this. It's a Umuntu Nagamuntu Nagabantu, which literally means this. It means, it means a person is a person through other people. In essence, it's saying that human beings are inextricably linked together. So when you hurt, I hurt. When you cry, I cry. When you find joy, I find joy. And you actually know more about Ubuntu, even if you didn't realize it. Because Ubuntu is the tug that you feel when you hear about a child being abused, states away. It's that that twinge that you feel when another person cries. it's It's the connection that you have with someone, even if you just met. Ubuntu is the beautiful reality that we are all connected together. Ubuntu encourages generosity and it discourages selfishness and individualism. And even though the Africans call it Ubuntu, Jesus calls it unity. But Jesus didn't just talk about unity. He lived it. He demonstrated it. And where we see this most vividly it is in a scene that is actually connected to John 17 that we just read. It just happens to be in John 13. And in John 13, it's the precursor to, uh, to, to where we were just at. It's the precursor to, to, to John 17 because here in John 13, Jesus and his disciples, they're eating a meal together. All the disciples are there, including Judas Iscariot, who is already prompted by Satan to, uh, to turn on Jesus. Except no one knows this except for Jesus. However, despite that, in the middle of the meal, Jesus gets up and we read this. Starting in verse 4, chapter 13, it says, So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Jump to verse 12. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Jesus looks around the room at his friends who were different, yet united. And he realized that he needed something visual to unify them. He needed their unity to come to a moment. And that moment wasn't a miracle. It wasn't a sermon. 
an act of service. See, what Jesus did is he looked around the room at his friends. Jesus, in his purple royalty, pours out water into a basin. Son of God. <laughs> royalty. comes to his disciples, gets on his hands and knees, and he washes the nasty, grimy, smelly, stinky feet of each of his disciples. Men who were nasty and grimy and smelly, not just physically, but, but in their sin too. And Jesus, he even washes the feet of the man that would soon turn him in for 30 pieces of silver, a move that would cost Jesus his actual life. Jesus showed Ubuntu. He showed us unity through serving his friends and his enemies. This is why. This is why I want you to leave here today with one idea more than anything else is that unity can be found on our hands and knees. We must fight for Christian unity more than our political party. Let me say that again, just in case you missed it. We must fight for Christian unity more than our political party. Unity must be the goal as Christ's followers because at the end of the day, that is what will last. And that's what matters. So when we go to the polls and when we vote, we won't vote alike. That's okay. Through this series, we've learned that we can disagree politically, but we can learn to love unconditionally. But regardless of how we vote, we can always filter our life through Jesus, through the love of unity, pouring through our actions towards one another. Unity can be found on our hands. If you've discovered Jesus and this ministry has helped you follow him fully, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give through our Crossroads app or at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Now go and follow him fully.